1: August Wilson is, without a doubt, the greatest uh, Black playwright of of all time. One of the greatest of all time, regardless. What makes August, what makes that work so great and so important and so lasting?
0: August Wilson took African American life and made a theater, which we are theatrical, wonderfully evolving, wonderfully... uh, uh, um, Versatile people because we're living the, the multiplicity of worlds and lives. So we have had to have what my mother called mother wit to survive. That's thinking on your feet real fast. So white people may call it common sense. But we had to have common sense of when to say things and do things that could cause our not only survival in life, but advancement.
1: Ruben Santiago Hudson is an amazing actor and director who was a friend of August Wilson's. He acted in August's plays. He has directed them. He has read them. He has opined and thought deeply on the meaning, the Augustness of August Wilson, the greatest black playwright ever. August plays are so dope. I wanted to talk to Ruben about August's work on the, occasion of august play ma rainey's black bottom becoming a film on netflix so here we go you'll get half of this conversation here for the other half for the whole thing go to patreon.com slash torre show here we go it's ruben santiago hudson on the work of the great august wilson on torre show So I want to talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in general, but before we get into the whole of it, let's just talk about Chadwick and what he does in this project. And I haven't gotten to see it yet, so, so please help the folks understand, you know, what it's like working with him on, uh, on set and what he's like just in terms of making the production in general.
0: Well, you know, as the writer, uh, rarely are we on set. Uh, I was not on set. Okay. Uh, I do know Chad. We've had, um, matter of fact, I've revisited a lot of our, our text messages prior to my ring because I did bring him into New York to, uh, when I recorded the the 10 August Wilson uh, plays for the American century cycle at the, uh, green space under producer Indira Etwaru. Uh, I brought him in to do, uh, Citizen and Gem of the Ocean with uh, Felicia Rashad, and even prior to that, we had we had communicated, and he had come to rehearsals of plays I had done, and uh, it just was, it's rare in life, not just in the arts, to come across a young man uh, that has such a majesty. He just carried himself in a way that was uncanny. You know, it was like, wow. I mean. So early, you, you understand exactly who you are and what your responsibilities are, not only to your um, career, but to your to your village, to the people that matter to you, the people that built you, the people who uh, are a part of the fabric of who you are. So Chad carried himself in a very unusual way. I say unusual in the fact that he was purely and definitively established in what was important to him. And so uh I know that much about Chad and worked with him in that respect. As far as the movie, uh, I witnessed it uh, from afar as the writer. A lot of times the writer is not invited on the set because the authority there is the director, producer, and sometimes they feel uh, a little um, uncomfortable with the writer there when words start getting changed and things, but... In this particular case, since I am very close to August Wilson, was very close to August Wilson, who's written, who wrote three roles for me, who I've directed his work, I've uh, co-starred in his work. I've written his work uh, into screenplays, probably the only living person in the world, live or dead, that has acted, directed and uh, 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 adapted his work. And I'm certain I'm the only person in, uh, uh, who's who've done it. So that, that could be a little intimidating if somebody wants to take their path. Like George is, is an extraordinary director George Wolf. and he clearly is in charge on set. And me being there might give the actors, you know, Rube, what do you think about, you know, and, and I'm sure they didn't want that round Because I, I, can, I, I consider myself um, more than an authority on August Wilson's work, but somebody intimately entwined and involved in his work. So it's, it's, you know, you know, (laughs) what
1: what was what was Chadwick like as a person?
0: He was very inquisitive from what I, I mean. We weren't like that wasn't like my run buddy, but he was somebody who I had extraordinary respect for. And he likewise showed it to me. And I didn't think he knew me. And he actually wrote in a paper about witnessing me rehearse, witnessing me, witnessing Felicia Rashad, witnessing Anthony Chisholm, the people who were in Gem of the Ocean, he came and sat in the dark and watched us rehearse at the theater. Um, but upon meeting him, you know, he seemed to be eager to meet us all, and but he gave us all our space and our time. He was quiet, he was introspective, and he, he kind of like absorbed. But around him, if he was here today, I would say the same thing. If we were on this together... He carried an aura that uh, of way more than uh, uh, way more than eagerness and wanting to know. It was more like absorption. It was like I know who I am. I know what my responsibility is to to people of African descent. I know what my responsibility is to to the the African diaspora and and the journey we've had in this country. He just carried it, and you knew it, and so it made you want to embrace him immediately. And then all you have to do is, if you really want to know what a person is, look at his track record. Look at the people who he affected, who were around him. And Chadwick always, you know, he had extraordinary integrity. I'll put it that way.
1: So, okay, let's talk about August Wilson and then move into uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom August Wilson is, without a doubt, the greatest uh, black uh, uh, playwright of of all time, one of the greatest of all time, regardless. Um, I've seen a lot of his work. I've read about him. I've read the work. Um, but you are the foremost expert. So help us understand what makes August, what makes that work so great and so important and so lasting.
0: Well, you know, when you say I'm the, I'm the foremost, uh, that will cause a lot of controversy because a lot of people claim that uh, or, or think that, you know, so a lot of people have ownership of the knowledge of August's work in, 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 in tremendous depth. I know uh, what I've achieved in, in, in our relationship, and I just hold that precious. But the thing is this. August Wilson took. African-American life. And made a theater. Which we are theatrical, wonderfully evolving, wonderfully uh, uh, um, versatile people because we're living the, the multiplicity of worlds and lives. So we have had to have what my mother called mother wit to survive. That's thinking on your feet real fast. So white people may call it common sense. But we had to have common sense of when to say things and do things that could cause our not only survival in life, but advancement. So we have to walk those lives. August would take and show our private aspect. He would take us in our arenas where we uh, long to speak and behold. Uh, Backyards, uh, uh, bars, restaurants, um, you know, uh, recording studios, notice the, the, the duplicity, the recording studio basement conversation is completely different than the recording studio recording area because uh, uh, uh white people are present so how do you present yourself what is your persona then uh, uh, about when they go down the basement they like talking all look at your shoes and they yeah oh, you don't know nothing about their music but they're not saying all that in front of the the white man they, they, they're they paying respect to each other to a certain degree they're musicians so August august he took elevates all this incredible-
1: us he elevates us but he's also sharply authentic and right on it
0: he just the way he heard it. And this is this is where I get in conflict with some of the so-called August Wilson uh, uh, scholars who don't know and have not lived their lives surrounded by northern colored people. And I use that term as a term that I uh, that I coined because these were southern colored people who migrated north and they stayed colored. The only thing changed was the location.
1: What do you mean? Why do you say colored instead of black or negro or
0: in those days they were colored in the thirties, you know, and, 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 you know, nobody wanted to be Negro. You was colored and you came North, you stay colored. When I say that it was the way you cook, the way you danced, the way you caught it, the way you solved your arguments and your dis- disputes, the way you dress your style, you was Northern colored. Now you wouldn't Southern colored. So it's, it's, it's evolution. So August took the way he heard things. As I was saying, I get in these debates sometimes with people who don't know Northern colored people. And they'd be like, well, wow, how did August make up that? He got arrested for worthlessness. And I'm like, we got arrested for uselessness, worthlessness, senselessness. You know, you look dangerous. Well, how else can I look in any way but the way I look? You know what I'm saying? That's how I look. So August elevated our regular lives to theater. The brilliance of August is that he took what we take as commonplace life, and he made it perfect incredible theater so it could be the net could be cast so wide that other people get to experience the essence of who we are as uh, as elaine Locke would say the essence of this new negro which is the harlem renaissance but august everything he did was new to people who didn't know
1: us and and and, and for folks who don't know his body of work represents the decades of the 20th century is that right
0: That's why we call it the American Century Cycle, because it was the 20th century, decade by decade, a play set in each decade. Not a play about the decade, but set in in each decade. And it shows you how much things have changed and how much things stayed the same. The injustices never, they never changed. It was just a different way to do them. We found ourselves struggling and fighting for truth, justice. Equality, parity in each play, nobility. Uh, We fought the same battles each decade, and we're fighting it today. The same things we're fighting for.
1: And yet there is a cultural growth throughout them, right? Yes, absolutely.
0: Because when we begin to recognize as a people who we are and our strengths, our contributions, our beauty, you know, we begin to, to as Zora Neale Hurst would say, gleam it around and let it shine. So we got bigger because we 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 were fighting for our freedom and equality. So we got louder. In the in the sixties, we got real loud. In the seventies, we got loud. And we had been quiet for a long time. Now we're loud again. August would love this time.
1: You know. Yes, that's right. That's right. There was a quiet in the 80s and 90s as we were getting a little more economic power and the and the street fight for political power and i think the 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 rise of drugs quieted us the rise of incarceration quieted us to a certain extent but the last what 5 10 years we have been politically very loud
0: and you know what has happened since we got loud again You know, when we get loud in any conversation, if we're the only black person in the room, whether you're talking about it, are the Lakers going to beat Miami? And we get, oh, you know, people say we got angry. Right. So we are always concerned in white spaces how we are perceived. But today we're not. We're not. We we want to be loud.
1: Mm -hmm. We want
0: to say who we are, why we are, what we are, and what we're gonna get. We we don't say, you know what you have to do. We say this is what we're doing. We taking this.
1: hear a feed of episodes from across npr's podcast that center black voices turn on npr today and hear a range of voices as varied as nuanced and as black as we are stories should never be about us without us listen now to black stories black truths from npr wherever you get your podcasts influencer it's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days there is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth the I, the podcast, wherever you listen. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Toure. Be sure to check out Democracy-ish, where we channeled the frustration, rage and absurdity that was the 2020 election, as well as discuss the current state of the political climate and our country from a black perspective. New episodes available every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream your podcasts. You know, th- that, the, the sense of what you're saying... Uh, is very much something that I have gleaned from the past, let's say, four, five, six months in that I think before I was definitely like, you know, how do I be unapologetically black? But then it went forward even to like, I really don't care if I'm making you uncomfortable white person. This is the my authentic self. This is what I'm thinking about. So I'm going to say that. I'm going to introduce that. And before I would have said, hey, you know, not that I'm afraid, but there's no need to make the white people uncomfortable let's have a nice conversation, but now it's like I, you know I really don't care
0: right because you know because being labeled as angry, being labeled as belligerent, being uh, labeled as militant or they start adding other labels that don't necessarily apply wholly like racist uh, uh life's too short to work with him, and we are protecting the longevity of of our success as well and in, in protecting uh, our livelihoods and our families. So we have to be careful, but now it's it's because white people are listening now. So it's, you better say it because this is going to pass because people spend so much time spanking white people. What white people do is figure out how to get thicker pants so they don't feel it so hard. <laughs> and then they go back to what they were doing. Um, what we have to be careful about is that we don't use all our energy straightening them out that we used an equal amount of more energy building our own stuff. Yeah. And that's what I preach. And that's what, you know, it's scary because I'm consulting a lot of different theaters right now. And I'd be straight honest with them. And they said, well, everybody's beating me down. They They should be beating you down. They should be whooping your ass. But I tell you what, you can change what's happening tomorrow so they don't keep whooping your ass. And this is what I you know, I don't want you hiring black people. I want you putting black people in positions, training them and teaching them where all your other bodies are buried, where you got your money from, how'd you got it, how to write grants, how to run theaters. So don't hire a director. Don't ask me what director you should hire. Find out what administrator you should have, what artistic director, what marketing director, what a uh, uh, stage manager, what people in control who are making decisions. You know, we we're easy to grab the low-hanging fruit and say, oh, they're gonna give me a directing job it's, What they do, what they did in the 80s and the late 70s is they bought or destroyed our leaders. Once they identify you, they know that the thing that black people, I'm getting on a whole different thing, I don't wanna waste your time, but they know the thing that we wake up with usually in our families are born with is trying to figure out how to get money, how to have a better life. Most white people are born with something so they figure out how to manage money so how to how to manage the house my mother left me how to manage the million dollars that was left how to manage the thirty thousand dollars that was left very few black people have that when they wake
1: up well one of the big things is that we can't very few of us can turn to a close family member when a rainy day comes and say hey i need your help getting out of this problem you know to fix the roof or what have you Many, many white people have that family member, that parent, sister, brother, uncle who they could turn to. Hey, I need some money. I'm drowning here. Um, you know, so when a rainy day comes for us, it gets even rainier.
0: Or, or they have something to leverage. They have the, the two houses or the rental property that their parent had. You And I'm not talking about wealthy white people. I'm talking just from the Homestead Act, from the first Homestead Act on forward, they made sure white people had something. Mm-hmm. So they know. The powers that be know that we're looking to get money. And so they always try to find your price And the most dangerous person in the world of color is the one that certain things don't have a price. And that's integrity. And so when I when I said that in an interview in The New York Times, 1995, it made me a dangerous man. Cornel West actually spoke on it in the lecture one time in Princeton. This man said in the paper, there's no price to his integrity. And they have challenged that. People have come with prices that people say, oh, shoot, I would have took their money. And it's like, well, not for my integrity because I got to wake up in the morning. And the only thing I really have is this face, this heart, and it's who I am.
1: You remind me of the August Wilson New Yorker profile that was brilliant Um, And I remember reading it two or three times, and uh, it was controversial because he was unapologetic and aggressive, and I think basically saying, you know, I don't really care if white people come to my place, they are not the judges, you know, we are the judges of whether or not I am successful. Just let's talk about him as a person, as a man. Who was he? August Wilson, you know,
0: it's hard because you talk to 50 people and we have 50 different things to say because he was very reserved. And when he started talking, it didn't stop. I'm literally and this is the honest to God truth. I have sat with August for nine hours. Nine straight hours had breakfast, lunch and dinner in the same restaurant, same cafe. We just, just keep going out to smoke. And you come back and will be, oh, be back, be back. You know, and he was just, but it seemed like he was not approachable. But once you, you know, walked up to him, and, and I guarantee you, if you interviewed 20 people that really knew August, they'd say the same thing. I saw him, and I was scared, and I went and said, Mr. Wilson, I'm an actor, too. And he said, yeah, hey, you're going to be great. You're going to be good. Well, what do you like to act in? And he'll go. And so once he opened up, it was the trust factor. Once he felt a little trust, he wanted to impart something on you that made you leave bigger than when you met him. And for me, because people used to always think he was going to fire me because I always spoke truth to him, you know, and, they, and other actors would say, he's firing you, he's firing you. I said, well, if he firing me, then I got to go paint a wall or drive a truck. But I just spoke, and he, he respected that about me. And I cannot tell you how many times people told me he would fire me because he would say something to me. And I would say, I don't know, particularly not just about life, but about my character. he say, he should do this. And I would say, okay, I'll try it, but I don't know if that's he would do that. Why wouldn't you do it? That's what I, I think he'd do. I said he wouldn't do it because of this, this, this that you wrote, and we would debate. But he, I think that part of me he admired, and because we both learned all our lessons, and our heroes were the same people: preacher, the numbers man, the the guy the short order cook, the dishwasher, the uh, the wine o you know these people that, that 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 inhabited our communities that outside people look past that we embrace because they sat down and wanted to get. Doc, let me tell you something. What you need to be do, you need to be going to college because I wanted to go work in a steel plant because I'm from Lackawanna, but I spent all my summers in Pittsburgh. August is from Pittsburgh. Same thing, all steel steel plants. So when we would talk, when he heard my, when he first heard me audition, he wrote down same language I have, same song. He showed that to me. Four years later, when he finally hired me. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. He pulls out a pad. He said, look at it. And and the first thing I saw was my name. I said, man, you misspelled my name. Ain't no no E in my name. I ain't talking about that. Look at this. And it said, same music I have, same song. From the audition that I didn't get. He remembered that my cadence, my style, the way I do two, three sentences before I stop. I'm not monosyllabic. You know, that it was... The way I told my stories were similar to him. And we bonded. Uh, but he was, he had, he had a very short temper, uh, particularly if it was about disrespect. If he felt disrespected, he'd be willing to die. That's August Wilson. And but yet, if you need, like there was a dude, dig this. I'm gonna wrap that part of it up by saying this. There's a dude when August lived in St. Paul, and August was, was washing dishes or something. I think it was St. Paul. It's a white guy that was washing dishes with him, or either August was a short order cook. They worked together back. He came to every
1: opening night, August flew in. What does eating healthy mean to you? T H R I V E market dot com slash Tore Thrive market dot com slash Tore.
0: Look, you think he was a hobo. He had long hair, but he would have one of August, like a, a fences jacket or some kind of jacket. And and I was saying, who the white dude look like a bum? Well, he worked with August when August was a dishwasher. He flew him in every opening. So I got to know him. <laughs> was like, oh, what's up, man? You know, so that's the kind of compassion and care, you know, that August, he just carried it, you know.
1: Mm. So, OK. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is uh, the new piece coming on Netflix, the new film. Um, explain to us what's special about this one and what this one is about, how it fits into the canon, um, and, and what you had to do to take it from the stage to the screen.
0: Well, first of all, what's very special about it is, is for me personally, it was the first August Wilson play I saw in 1984 at the, at the Court Theatre in New York on Broadway. And it was the first time in my career, my professional career in 1984, I mean, I had already been in the business for a while, that I saw people who I felt that I knew how they smelled. I knew what their breath smelled like. I knew what they wore. I could tell the fabric of their clothes. And I was sitting, I snuck into the theater. I was sitting in a double mezzanine way up top on the steps. I was that far away. And when they started speaking, I only got to the second act because I snuck in the second act. When people go out the intermission and a mission, they come back in, I grabbed the program, went in. I couldn't afford it, so I went in, went way up so I could hide, and I'm watching, and they started speaking, and my jaw dropped, and I sat there and watched it. I said, "Man, I know them. I know them. I know them." That's the people I was raised with in Nanny's Roman House.
1: Same music as and, me.
0: Yeah, and then all of a sudden I felt something on my cheek, and I did it like this. I thought it was a fly, it was tears. I cried. I cried. And I wrote him a letter on a napkin or the back of something and left it there. And I never heard from him for years until I finally tracked him down. I wrote him and Lloyd, he and Lloyd, many notes. And I finally tracked him down in L.A. when I was moving forward on my career, you know, in the 90s when they were doing two trains running. But that's what makes it extremely special to me. Also, this was the only play not set in in, in Pittsburgh, set in Chicago. Um... It was the play that finally Lloyd Richards, who not only mentored me and a host of other people, including Rock Dutton, Delroy, Lindo, um, going, down to, going down the list. Lloyd, that's when he chose August as his writer. August originally gave Lloyd Jitney, the one we won the Tony on two years ago, for Best Revival. Lloyd rejected Jitney twice. And August said to himself, that means i got to write a better play. i got to be a better writer. You keep rejecting my same thing? So he wrote My Rainy's Black Bottom, which was a huge opus. And with Lloyd's guidance and, and prodding and pushing and challenges, he cut it down to what we saw on Broadway. Now, which was extraordinary. Rock, that's when Rock Dutton got discovered. And he did something with Levy, no other person. Chad plays the same role, completely different, equally as brilliant. Completely different, but that was Rock Dutton, Joe Seneca, Robert Judd, uh, Teresa Merritt, you know, and on and on. So now we look at it under new eyes at a new time, under George direction, who wasn't an August Wilson crony like I am, but is a great director under Denzel Washington, who loves August Wilson's work and has become his champion in in producing these movies. So everybody had a lot at stake. My challenge, was to take a two hour and 45 minute play, gorgeously written, years and years of honing it and and taking that cold and making a diamond and making it a 90 minute movie Mm. without you missing anything that you remembered from the play. That's a lot to cut out. What's the challenge? How do you make, how do you take all these arias that August loves to write and make them theatrical instead of telling a play where actors tell you where to look, Make it a motion picture where pictures show you where to look, what you should be listening to. So what can I take from—and August's muscles are his words. So how do I keep it equally muscular with pictures?
1: I I, I, I want to dive deeper into that point and how you as a writer shave, because that's so much of being a writer is cutting, cutting down. Um, But it's Netflix. They just did The Irishman, which was like five hours long. Um, you know, I think the five bloods was like two plus. Like what why why does it have to be ninety? Why couldn't it be two hours or two and a, that's a half? That's the formula.
0: That's the formula they're gonna give a writer. It better not be over 119 pages or we're not reading it. I've been a writer a long time. Black want of Blues came out in two thousand five. I hadn't made another movie since then because I was getting so many black people behind the camera. <laughs> you know, what I mean? it was like you ain't never make another movie, you're fucking so I didn't make one. And they were honest, I didn't make one till my rainy. So uh, the thing is, you want to make it a motion picture. So August's muscles are his language. So how do I keep the most muscular part of his language? But yet, don't get, you know, balance it with with the visuals that make us not miss what I have to take out. You know, so, so you dig what I'm saying? So it's like... How because the thing about August, you will be flawed if you don't keep the music of his writing going. If you stop, start, you're going to kill it. So it's got to be uh, uh, con- con- the, the connectivity, the tissue, the connecting tissue must stay there no matter what else you cut. So sometime I will cut something and, and Denzel will say, man, I think you might throw the rhythm off if you cut that. I said, no, let me read it to you. Because, it, you know, he said, but there was four, four people in that scene. I said, yeah, but it's going to be now two and they're going to keep the rhythm. Let me show you. And I would read it, and Denzel knows the work in and out too. And he would say, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say, No, no, don't you read? Let me read the whole thing, you know. And I would read each character, and I would say, See how it flows? And he would say, Yeah, not. But bring this little piece back and see if it still flows. And I bring that back, and you know. But when I handed it in at 119, they told me, No, now we need it at 110. Now we need it at 100, and I finally settled on like 96 pages. I said, I can't cut. It. You will never see a black, well, yeah, I'm going to tell it. You will, you're not going to see a five-hour black play, movie. You know, they, you, you, they did Roots, and then they did Roots again instead of doing the Harlem Renaissance. So, you know, because I've been pitching Harlem Renaissance for 10 years. Let's do five parts of the Harlem Renaissance, five two-hour movies. But yet yeah, they'll do Band of Brothers. But they will not invest in our work, and that's why we have to invest in our work. If we want to see the Harlem Renaissance five two-part movies, come on, y'all. Y'all got billions of dollars. Don't make me call names. They know, you know, they listen to your show. They know I'm talking to. I'm willing to put it together. Five two-hour movies. I can't write them all. I'll bring the team. We'll write our ass off. We keep waiting for other people to say, okay, and give us permission to tell our stories, and they will tell us what the rules are. Mm. When are we gonna make the rules?
1: In 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 those ninety six pages, what is your Ma Rainey's Black Bottom about?
0: Well, it's about how the brilliance of who we are, more than that, the power of who we are as a people gets compromised when we sell it, allow other people to put reins on it. Ma, you know, And that's the metaphor of the, the entire movie. Ma Rainey was the most powerful singer in the world in a tent. And she became a very wealthy woman, in tents all through the South. Once she gave her voice to these white men in the studio to put it in this machine and control how high, how low, how long she could sing, For a certain amount of money they gave her, she lost her power because she could make people cry in the tent, forget all their troubles, get sanctified by the blues and just, you know, just, oh, my God, you just saved my life. But she couldn't do that in the studio. She never did it on record. Out of her two or three hundred records she recorded, she never was a biggest recording star as Bessie or any, you know, any singer. But in the tent, no one could touch her. No one with her dancers, even from the jug band to the when she got the big band with the, not the big band but the larger band with the dancers, nobody could touch my rainy in the tent when black dollars went from black hands to black hands.
1: For more from me and Ruben, join us over at patreoncom Show. Thanks so much, Ruben, for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Keena Murphy, and Earl Dorsey. Touré Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Touré and on Instagram at Touré Show. And check us out on Patreon at patreon.com/slash show. Torrey Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Sean DeCovington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we'll be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.